Chapter 23 The following Saturday afternoon, Jerry rummaged through the fridge. Victoria had come over for lunch at the last minute, and he hadn't had time to prepare anything. Where was the leftover pizza? Looking for this? Victoria, seated at the table, grinned as she held up a plate piled with several slices. Yes? Jerry slid into the chair next to her. Nothing beats pizza for Saturday lunch. I heated it up while you were upstairs. Making yourself at home, I see. He kissed her on the cheek, grabbed a slice, and took a bite. Cheesy goodness melted in his mouth. Seconds later, he finished his piece and reached for another. What should we do this afternoon before band practice? Victoria rolled her eyes. You can't back out now. You promised. He reached for her hand and traced his thumb along the lines of her palm. So smooth. Oh, all right, she pulled her hand away. But first, I'd like to swing by Mr. Amati's luthier shop to see if he can fix up Gigi's old violin. I enjoyed playing it the other day. Very powerful. Worth a shot. Jerry eyed the Valentine's Day candy hearts she'd brought, opened the bag, and popped one into his mouth. These are addictive. I know. Victoria picked out a purple one, then a pink. Take these away from me before I devour them all. She shoved the bowl back toward him. Want to go with me? Jerry's head clouded as the sugar rush kicked in. Sure. He closed the pizza box and dropped it in the trash. I need to get a tune-up for my cello anyway. I'll bring my bass guitar too so we can head straight to practice. Victoria grabbed her violin from beside the table. Great, let's go. Fifteen minutes later, bells jingled as Jerry pushed open the door to the luthier shop and stepped inside. Stringed instruments filled every nook and cranny of the small store. Cello scrolls protruded into the narrow pathway. Double basses laid sideways across the hardwood floor. A couple of harps stood in the corner. Violins, violas, ukuleles, and mandolins covered every inch of the walls, while the smell of spruce and maple filled the air. It's like we've traveled back in time, Victoria mused. The sheer number of instruments. She stretched her arms wide. As Jerry made his way to the counter, he nearly knocked over a cello blocking his path. A gentleman with wiry gray hair on the sides of his head stood hunched over a deconstructed violin at the end of a long counter. Odd fragments of instruments like chin rests, tailpieces, curved strings, hairless bows, and woodworking tools lay strewn across the entire workspace. Jerry pressed the shiny bell in front of him. Good afternoon, Mr. Amati. When the man looked up from his work, his bifocals reflected the light from the window. A grin spread across his wrinkled face. Ah, my favorite customers. He set down his tools and hobbled toward them. What brings you here today? Jerry set his instrument on the counter. I need a checkup for my cello, looking for open seams, an adjustment, new strings, the works. Mr. Amati pulled out the instrument and examined it from every angle. Are you satisfied with its tone quality? He tipped it to the side. To be frank, no. Something sounds off. Maybe due to the winter weather. The luthier inserted a tiny tool through the F-hole and turned it. There, try that. Jerry grabbed his bow and played a few notes. Well? Mr. Amati raised his bushy eyebrows. Better. Jerry stroked the neck of the instrument. Of course, it still doesn't compare to your mother's Stradivarius. Now that's a beauty. Mr. Amati's crooked nose rose in the air. She brings it to me every year for its annual maintenance. She respects your expertise. 
Jerry resisted the urge to laugh at the guy's bird-like appearance. You've been in the business a long time. Mr. Amati's smile revealed yellow teeth. I learned the trade from my father, who learned it from his father, who learned it from his father. Jerry wouldn't have thought it possible, but the guy's nose rose even higher in the air. At one point, I traced my musical heritage back to the 16th century. Did I ever tell you the story about my ancestor, Andrea Amati? Yes, every time. Born in Cremona, Italy in 1505, he is considered the earliest violin maker. Mr. Amati adjusted his bifocals, so they perched on the end of his nose. King Charles IX of France commissioned Amati to make instruments for a court orchestra. Jerry yawned. The well-known story could continue for another 15 minutes. Mr. Amati, I wondered if you'd look at this. Victoria placed Gigi's case on the counter. How much work does it need? And what do you think it's worth? Mr. Amati's bushy brows furrowed at the sight of the battered case. What's this? My grandmother found it in an old trunk. Mr. Amati's throat emitted a guttural sound. Let me guess, you think you've stumbled on a long-lost Shadavarius. He rolled his eyes. I can't tell you how many times people come in here with heirloom violins from their great-great-uncle twice removed and hope it's a Strad. Most of the time, they're not worth more than the cheap factory-made student violins. He pushed the case back toward her. Victoria's smile faded. Jerry leaned his arms on the counter. Couldn't you at least see what it needs and maybe give an appraisal? Mr. Amati scrunched his nose. All right. After unlatching the sides, he held up the instrument and squinted through the epaules. Can't tell the maker. The writing's smudged. What about the condition? Jerry pressed. The luthier examined it from several angles. Needs a lot of work. I see several small cracks in the seams, although not as many as I'd expect from an old trunk shipped from overseas. He held the violin under the lamp next to the workspace. The varnish is worn and ought to be refinished, and I'd recommend we replace the fingerboard. He turned the pegs. And of course it needs new strings. These look a hundred years old. They probably are, Victoria acknowledged. He set the violin in its case and picked up the bow. This requires new horsehair, no surprise, and the ivory tips broken off. Victoria's eyes filled with tears. Time to wrap it up. Thanks, Mr. Amati, for your evaluation, Jerry said. Let me know how much I owe you for my cello. I can pick it up in a few days. Wait a minute, Mr. Amati put his hand on the violin case. For Victoria, I'll take a closer look and give an estimate on cost of repairs, appraisal, etc. She can decide what to do when you pick up the cello. Victoria's eyes met Jerry's. Thank you, she mouthed. Anything to keep the Changs and the Pearsons happy, Mr. Amati turned and hobbled back to his work. After a quick wave to him through the window, Jerry and Victoria climbed into his car and drove away. Victoria pulled sunglasses from her purse and placed them over her eyes, probably to hide the smudged mascara. That didn't go as planned. If he doesn't think the violin's worth a thing, there's no way Professor Chang will like it. Now I'll have to find a different one. Don't jump to conclusions, Jerry said. Mr. Amadi was edgy because the violin wasn't from his shop. He might come around to it. Victoria sniffed. I thought Gigi's violin might be something spectacular, or at least an upgrade. 
He brushed it aside like a piece of firewood. Jerry leaned back against the seat. I wouldn't give up yet. He needs to look closer at it. If the instrument's worth something, he'd want to know. Imagine the headlines. Local Luthier discovers Stradivarius. It's not a Strad. How do you know? Different tone than your mom's. Darker. They pulled up to Victoria's house and opened the front door to an explosion of sound. Instead of Mrs. Pearson's usual beginner piano repertoire, strains of guitars and drums erupted from the formal music room. Jerry's grip tightened on his bass guitar case as he moved toward the noise. Dressed in a sequined purple shirt, Stella pranced around in the center of the room, a mic clutched in her hand. She stepped over a mess of wires and squeezed around the mic stands, pedals, and amps that surrounded her. Matt, decked in a cowboy hat, crooned next to her, strumming his guitar. Marie sawed away on a red electric violin behind them, while Eddie pounded a trap set. Stella rose on the balls of her feet and twirled. What do you think, Jerry? Uh, cool. He set down his case and pulled out the instrument. Matt gestured to Stella. This girl's got talent. She'll be a star someday. Stella beamed. Marie checked the intonation on her electric violin. Victoria, we need you to convince Louisa to play keyboard with us. It would round out the sound. Why does she need convincing? Jerry took his place next to Marie. Louisa hates to play in front of people. But we need her, Stella insisted. I'll see if I can get her. Victoria headed upstairs. Minutes later, she and Louisa entered the living room. Louisa bit her lip. You know, I hate to perform in front of people. Besides, I don't know how to improvise. You'll learn. Victoria's eyes met Jerry's before she ushered her sister to the piano. So she had listened to him. How do I play a song I've never heard before without sheet music? Louisa asked as she sat at the piano. I'll teach you. A smile played at the corners of Victoria's mouth. Jerry's eyes lingered a couple extra moments on her lips. Maybe he could teach Victoria a thing or two about improvisation. Marie set a sheet on the piano, interrupting his reverie. Here's the chord chart. Louisa squinted. How do I know what notes to use? When in doubt, play the root of the chord. Victoria pointed to the music. Louisa took a deep breath. I'll give it a shot. I'll play with you as well to give you a better idea, Victoria said. Matt cleared his throat. <clears throat> From the top. After a hesitant start, Louisa's technique grew more confident each time they ran the song, adding her own ornamentation and arpeggios to add flavor. Amazing job. Marie clapped Louisa's shoulder at the end of rehearsal. I knew you had it in you. Louisa's face flushed. I guess it wasn't too hard after all. You rock. Matt flashed her a wide grin. Total pro. Stella tugged on his t-shirt. How about my vocals? Was I in tune? Jerry chuckled. Apparently, Stella had developed a crush on the much-too-old-for-her guitarist. Victoria, Jerry called at the end of rehearsal. I need to ask you something. Her stomach fluttered. Wow, he looked good in his black t-shirt. Never in her wildest dreams would she have imagined falling for a band guy. Once the others left the room, he reached for her hand and tugged her into a corner. I didn't get to kiss you yet today. He stroked her silky hair, then ran his hands down her soft sweater. As she leaned into him, his rapid heartbeats thumped against her chest. She breathed in his rich scent, 
a warm mixture of orange and saffron, and her own heartbeat raced as he leaned in to press his lips to hers. A warm sensation flooded her body as he wound his arms around her waist, pulling her closer. Victoria! Marie yelled. The couple jumped apart. Always interruptions, he sighed. Yes, always interruptions. Too many family members here to bother them. He needed to move to New York, too. Marie entered and cocked an eyebrow. Did she suspect? Adrian's listening to moody music again. I need you to talk to her. Unless I'm interrupting something. Victoria glanced at Jerry. We're done, I think, she stammered. I'll see what I could do. She mouthed, I'm sorry to him, before heading upstairs. As she stopped in front of Adrian's room, muffled music seeped through the door, not clear enough for Victoria to recognize. After a couple of knocks, she turned the knob. Adrian lay in bed with her eyes closed, her casted arm visible on top of the canary-yellow bedspread. Her face was pale, and her sunken features lacked their usual animation. The strains of music continued, clearer on this side of the door. Beethoven's Seventh Symphony, Second Movement. One he'd composed while losing his sense of hearing. How awful to live in a world without music, the rhythmic pulse that drove her own existence. She laid a hand on her sister's forehead. Adrian, how are you? Victoria brushed a stray wisp of hair from her sister's face. Adrian rolled to her side, away from Victoria. How do you think I am? While the rest of you practice together, I'm shut up here in this room, alone. Victoria's heart sank as the plaintive strains of the symphony filled her ears. Unlike Beethoven, Adrian could still hear. But if she couldn't play... Victoria squeezed her sister's shoulder. I can't imagine what you feel, but you don't have to go through it alone. Yes, I do! Adrian turned to face her. No one else can take my place. It's my problem. I'm the one who fell on the ice. Victoria closed her eyes to block out the image of Adrian's fall. When she opened them again, a large easel with a half-completed painting caught her attention. She moved next to it for a better look. What's this? She scanned the raised colors on the canvas. For a moment, Adrian's eyes lit up. Then the look diminished. It's nothing! She pulled the covers over her face. The image displayed a woman next to a beautiful river with a large cathedral looming in the distance. Paris? Adrian nodded. I'd like to visit someday. Maybe study music. I've always found the French composers fascinating. Victoria smiled. Like Sasson and Berlioz? Yes. And I found another interesting one recently. Joseph Bologne, also known as Chevalier de Saint-Georges. He was a dreamy black composer, knight, fencer, and even a colonel during the French Revolution in addition to his position as composer and conductor. Isn't that dreamy? Sounds like it. You'd love him. He wrote a ton of music for violin, including concertos and several sonatas for two violins. Victoria squeezed Adrian's hand. Maybe we can play one when you're better. Besides, I'm still looking for an 18th century piece to perform for my conservatory audition. I figured something by Mozart. Adrian wrinkled her nose. Too cliché! Definitely check out Joseph Bologne. He's far more fascinating. I will. Thanks for the tip. Victoria kissed her on the forehead. Now get some sleep. <laughs>